Okay, uh, so today's a weird-ish morning. We don't have any singing, apparently, which uh, Melissa tried to convince me that I ought to pretend like that was on purpose. Uh, so as uh, the real worship for today will be in our lunch scramble afterwards. <laughs> uh, but we will um, uh, dismiss early because we have no singing. I mean, unless I preach for an hour and a half. If you want me to do that, I can. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll do, be doing the lunch scramble. If you didn't sign up for the lunch scramble, that's okay. You can still be a part of it. Basically what it is is, uh, well, it's kind of what it sounds like. Uh, we all get together at my house and scramble eggs. Uh, and uh, any toppings you want? You can, no, sorry. It, uh, we mix up uh, the church kind of randomly into groups of five to six, and you go out and eat lunch, you have a host, and this is for meeting people, mixing and mingling. Again, if you didn't sign up, uh, Ryan will have instructions for you afterward on how to participate in our lunch scramble. Yeah, cool, great. All right, um, uh, two more announcements. Uh, first, our leadership conference is going to be this next Saturday from 9 to about 3.30. It's going to be great. Most of you who are uh, college uh, leaders, you're going to already be there. Those of you who aren't and you are a leader in our church in any capacity, meaning that if you're one of our chulas on the chula team, whatever, we really want you to go. There's like three or four events during the year that are really important for you to be at, and this is one of them. Uh, it is all being planned by Sarah and, uh, and Lawrence, uh, two of the focus staff people, and the theme this year is innovation and creativity and leadership, and so it'll be pretty exciting. Uh, it always is cool to get together with all the leaders from the other churches and ministries and, uh, and see them and be with them for a day of, uh, of encouragement. There's lots of worship and it's, you know, we do kind of like a TED Talk-ish type thing. So it's not real long sermons, 15 minutes or so. And uh, there's only three or four of them throughout the day. We do panels, things like that. So that's next Saturday, right? Yeah, good. I actually don't even remember where it's at. Um, that's right, Citizens Church, formerly known as Village Church Plano, formerly known as something else completely. Uh, yeah, it's kind of about right next to my parents' house. So, hey, maybe for the first time ever, you guys will be there. Yeah, who knows? We'll see. Okay, say it again. A link to the address. I mean, it's pretty memorable, right? I didn't remember it, but <laughs> Citizens Church Plano, I mean, citizen. Who doesn't want to be, you know, a citizen in Plano, right? Best place to be citizen. Citizens Church. Uh, I'll send a link, yes, on Facebook. Great idea, great idea. Leadership conference. Um, also, we did our MLK haunted house last night. Was it pretty dope? I mean, for those of you who went, yeah, no? Is it good? Great? No? None of you go? What's wrong with you? Just we don't meet at the MLK anymore, we can't somehow help the MLK? Is that your attitude, huh? No? Yeah? I wasn't there. <laughs> but Friday night for like an hour, I went and decorated, so that's pretty cool of me to do. Uh, Speaking of volunteerism, uh, I have uh, one of my really good friends, and I'm going to say quasi-mentor, because I don't know how many things I want to, to admit that he's taught me. Uh, Willie Hudspeth here with us today. And uh, for those of you who don't uh, know Willie, a longtime uh, advocate uh, for a number of things, particularly uh, of racial issues in uh, the Denton area. Most recently, we've asked a bunch of you, and none of you have attended, uh, which has led to me calling you behind your backs, Generation Z, 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 Z. as in sleep, okay? I, I think you probably got that, that's good. Uh, but um, one of the most recent things that uh, 
uh, that Willie's been doing, well, it's not really not recent, it's just gained traction some in the media, although there was a report put out this last week that was not so nice and not so accurate. But uh, if you want explanation about that and the whole moving of the Confederate Memorial, you can talk to us. But Willie's on campus Mondays and Tuesdays, uh, basically getting people to call uh, the county judge and tell them what they think about possibly moving that statue to a more appropriate place. More recently, though, uh, Willie has uh, kind of joined on with some others, um, and I'm going to let him explain what he's talking about. But just in short, the idea is that all over the country, uh, there have been a number of, uh, or were a number of historical lynchings where people were just sort of uh, lost, not named, not buried correctly, that kind of thing. And so uh, he's asking us to be, uh, you know, thinking about supporting and being involved with that. And so um, I'm going to have him come up and explain it way better than uh, I could ever. So please welcome the most... The best dressed man in the entire church. There you go. Here we go. The only one that dresses up around here. <laughs> I thought this was a clan meeting. I, what did, that, did I not get? <laughs> wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> I'd have my right, I'd have my dirt hat on. I'd be sitting there. Let's go kill everybody that's black. You know. Anyway. Sorry, I should have mentioned he's not at all politically correct, <laughs> which means that he fits really well here. So that's, yeah. Anyway, I've been, I've been a Christian for 55 years, I believe. I think that's about right. And I've gone on this journey, and I call it a journey. I finally figured it out. God said, come to me, and then I'm going to show you what to do. Now, what happens with that in that process, I found people enter into your life, and they're, they're human, and they're a mess, and then they try to tell you what you're supposed to do, and it's messed up, but there's something he, he says, there's a spirit out here, and do not get it confused with some of the other spirits, and some of those you drink, he says it's a holy spirit. All that means is it came from God. Then you have to distinguish, well, what's God? The living God. And I'm going to let you find out what does that mean. You need to find out what it means. I didn't know for a long time. Now I understand what he means by I'm the living God. You find out what that means. I say that to you to say this. The journey has produced some action from me, from this living God and this Holy Spirit. It said, I want you to do something. Guy I was working with and uh, this homeless guy had him working with me and I was preaching to him and he said, what are you talking about when you say God said? See, we say all that stuff, but we don't understand what we're talking about. All it means is a thought entered into my head. I think it was from God. Now, here's the difference. I acted on it. Sure enough, showed, turns out good for me. So he's been talking to me about stuff over the years. And what happens is you come into this building with the walls on the outside, and you come in and you pretend to be holy when really you're just homey. You're just here. Challenge comes when he says, leave out the door 
and live what you've been talking about. And I'll show you what I want you to do. I want you to live it. And then I'm a preacher. So I like to tell you, my flock, my generation, what to do. He said, oh, no, we're not doing that. You're going to have to live it too. I said, oh, heck, I don't want to have to live it. You mean I have to love people? Man, that's a drag. Anyway, so that's what I'm here to talk to you about. Get out of these walls. Get out of these walls and go do something for Christ. Do something. You say, well, what do I do? The thought will enter in your head. And I call that holy. Holy Spirit will say, do this. Now, I'm going to preach to you and say, hey, how about doing this? You decide whether or not you're going to do it or not. As Brad mentioned, we asked for some of you to come to the, to the college and uh, help me pass out literature. None of you show. <laughs> None of you. But you're inside these walls and you're listening for that message that's going to challenge you to, to go out and do something. Mm -hmm. ah, I'm just like you. I hear a lot of stuff. And I just, I have to decide what I'm going to do. So here's the pitch. Pitch, whatever you want to call it. I need help. You can help or not. Imagine being born, living on earth, and all of a sudden, you're no longer here. You're gone. Never to be heard from again. That's EGI's Equal Justice Initiatives thought, and they're saying, that's not right. People who were removed from society, and it was really based on the color of their skin, and killed, then their bodies hidden. Never, you would just hear one day, and you're gone. Brad say some of you might have a problem with maybe it was justified. Maybe they hurt kids. They hurt women. They killed somebody. And it was, might have been justified. Well, we don't know. We know what the accusation was, but we don't know. But in America, even in those situations, you do get a trial. Even though it might be kangaroo-ish, you still get a trial, don't you? Mm -hmm. They didn't get anything. So EGI, EGI, they said, here's what we can do. Uh, he said, they said, let's just remember the thought of them. That's the least we can do. It reminds me of me going to Vietnam. I went to Vietnam to fight, and I didn't want to go. But I would have gone to jail had I not gone. So they drafted me, and I, I, was, I had to go. And I, someone asked me, they said, well, what if you came back, well, you died over there. No one remembered that you went. That would be awful. That's kind of like what this thing is all about that I'm telling you about today. We are going to do a, I actually have a ceremony where we don't know where they, their bodies were. We don't know where they were, they were lynched. And let me explain to you what lynching is. They've redefined it. It's not actually just hanging up the, someone by their neck until they're dead. They redefined it, and it makes more sense to me. 
Imagine living on in, in the United States, <clears throat> and you have people here who are here to protect you from someone hurting you, the police. You have a system by which if someone hurts you, they are brought to justice, the courts. Lynching is when you don't have any of that. You on earth, and nobody will protect you. No one. They will just, the, a certain race will grab you, drag you out, and kill you. And no one will help you. You can't go to any authority for help. That's lynching. That's the, re, the new definition of it. It's kind of like what my wife does to me. Lynching. You will take that trash out or you will get no loving. Lynching. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If you know my wife, do not go and repeat that. I will be lynched. Anyway, so that's what happened to these two guys. And, and so what they've done is divided up this country, or this, out the United States of America, into counties that they have recorded evidence of when someone was lynched. Then they put them on these beams. They are like this white column. They're about that big, that white column that you see there. They're that big in size. Then they etch the names of the people in the column. And wait for it. They hang the beam. Symbolic. Counties don't want that thing in their county. They want to forget. They don't want to recognize. They don't want them here. Anywhere. So there were two in Denton County. We don't know the names. We just know that two Negroes, or, or the other word, <laughs> the other N-word, uh, were put in the county jail, and then that's it. They were in the jail, and they were no more. So we feel that they were lynched. Their dates of when they left, they were disappeared, were etched on the, the beam, and it is, they're going to bring it here. But they have to have support. They will not do it if the county doesn't, if we can't produce someone who says that's a good idea. They will not bring it. They're paying for it to be, they've already etched it, they have it, and they, will bring, they are paying to bring it here. They are paying to erect it where we decide to put it. But we have to have support. That's why we're here. To say, what do you think? Would you support something like that? Here's what the support looks like. You, someone has to say, if it's going to be for the congregation, we think it's a good idea. That's all. If you don't do that, Individually, you can come with us in December the 12th, Mr. Tench, Dr. Tench, which date is it? December 14th. December the 14th at Pilot Point, you can come and join in the celebration of the retrieval of the dirt where they, we think they were lynched. There are three locations. So we have dirt that is it's in a jar, and you have the first layer, then the second layer, and the third layer of dirt collected at the three sites we think the lynchings took place. And 
they will ceremony at those at that celebration. We're gonna the the jars will actually be like we're saying this is their soul, and then just a simple statement or two about we they were alive at one time, they belonged to God, they're back with God, and we remember them. Isn't it a shame that we don't know their names? That just hurts me so bad that you cannot imagine. We don't know their names. And I was talking to a group like you before about this whole thing, and that so many people were in the audience. You, you can identify with this. Some of you are adopted, and you don't know who your mother and father were. It's that kind of feeling, that, that loss feeling kind of thing. So that's why we're here, uh, and that's my plea. You, uh, uh, Mr. Brad, will talk to you about whatever you're going to do uh, about that in the future, or if anything. We're just here saying, hey, help us if you, if you uh, will. Uh, I want to bring Mr. Dr. Treats up, just in case I forgot something. Can you add to what I said? <clears throat> Sure. Thanks, Willie. Um, I'm Dr. Treat. Uh, we're working together to bring this beam uh, back to Denton, to bring it home. Um, one of the things that we hope is, of course, um, you're here gathered today, and uh, you actually center around the symbol of a cross, which is a symbol of execution. And yet it's been transformed into something that's full of hope. It's full of justice. It's full of love. And that's what we want to do with this memorial. Um, so we meet once a month. Um, I'm going to leave some literature for those that are interested. Willie and I'll, I'll, I'm willing to hang around a little bit afterwards, answer some questions, because we just need you to perhaps, a few of you who are interested in forming a committee that can represent this body and act as liaisons, because as Willie mentioned, that it's, the only way it's going to get here is if we will it to happen. So I'm here not to ask for your help. I'm here to ask for your leadership. Uh, we've been traveling to churches for a while now, right? <laughs> um, and so that's the idea is that we're going to have representatives from all these groups and congregations. And so when we show up and request a place to put it, it'll be fait accompli. We will, we will uh, have the willpower. We'll have the membership to be able to demonstrate to them that we do want to bring it here and honor and remember these lives that were lost. So um, just a couple of quick dates. And again, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm happy to hang around and answer questions. Our next meeting is going to be uh, actually up here at the historic courthouse on the Square Museum. It's on Monday, November 11th, Veterans Day at 6.30 p.m. We're going to be discussing our soil collection ceremony and hammering out uh, the events. Um, we would love to have representatives from your group help participate through song, uh, through prayer, but also just through community, just to come together and, uh, and demonstrate our willpower to bring this here. Um, we also have the Soil Collection Cemetery in Pilot Point. As Willie mentioned, that's on December 14th. So we're here to answer questions. Thank you very much for your gracious invitation, letting us speak. Um, and um, I hope to see you again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys very, very, very much for coming this morning. Um, you know, uh, we do have a kind of a committee already formed, and that's uh, our outreach uh, group, which is Ryan and Kristen White. They lead that. 
And so if you guys got, uh, you know, need some more information after uh, they're gone, you can always talk to them. Uh, we do things a little bit kind of, uh, I don't know, throwing a net out when it comes to community stuff around here. None of us, it's just too hard to corral young college uh, students and young adults to do one thing particularly. So if it seems like we're always announcing some new thing you can be involved in, that's because we are, okay? We're, we're not really spearfishing towards something that's going to be really effective. We're just trying to get interest at the grassroots level and see what kind of sticks and stuff. So, um, But thank you very much for you guys coming and talking about that. I, as you explained that, I thought that was so well uh, articulated. Just the idea of lynching is so counter to what we understand about who God is. And the idea that we are all created in his image and imbued with a name and an identity like our series talks about and that these people would just absolutely disappear uh, without um, anybody knowing them. I think that's a pretty worthy cause to be involved in. All right, so we are going to pick right back up uh, where we left off about three weeks ago in our uh, sermon series on um, identity. And so hopefully uh, you've kind of gotten some uh, sense of what we're doing and what we're uh, talking about, and it started to kind of sink in a little bit. Um, I don't know, hopefully. Uh, if, if not, then uh, we're going to get really specific with these next few uh, sermons so that you can try to kind of rethink um, specifically well, what needs to change about my understanding about Christian identity, all right? And I still don't have a class uh, to teach on Sunday mornings. Like, I, if you guys have something, I've got no ideas. So if you want something taught, think about it and come and get back with me because I've got, I got nothing, all right? So, um, and that's fine. I don't, I'm not going to try to have to teach something. Um, so, yeah, anyway, great. All right, so the sermon for today is a little bit challenging, uh, mostly because whenever we start talking, I think, about belief or reason or using our mind to try to ascertain certain heavy, high ideas, we get frustrated, nervous, we feel like we're not good enough, not smart enough, whatever else. Some of this is the education system, some of it's just our society of achievement, blah, 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 blah. But what I'm primarily talking about today, and the sermon's uh, title is very, very simple, it's identity, reason, or revelation, all right? There's sort of like an age-old debate, and in some ways, this is really the crux of faith, uh, whether or not we as humans can attain, okay, uh, whether that's through physical effort, through understanding something mentally, can attain some level of spirituality, uh, a higher plane of living, blah, 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 whatever else, okay? Versus that being having to be revealed to us by some outside source. This is really the kind of basic problem, basic crux of faith, is do you believe that you have the ability to sort of achieve this state of mind, this physical goodness on your own, or do you believe that this can only come from an outside source? I mean, really, honestly, this is the core of faith. People who either believe it comes from outside or they can kind of accomplish it uh, on their own. I'm reading this book that Ryan recommended, and it's a terrible book um, because it's just got no narrative structure. And it's like I'm back in sixth grade 
Um, no, I didn't take chemistry in sixth grade. I'm not that smart. 11th or 12th grade chemistry where my mind is just numb with all these hard science facts that I, from day one, couldn't even like begin to understand entirely. Um, and the book is just insane. It's, it's just a crazy book. But it's a very popular book written in China. Uh, this uh, science fiction writer won the Hugo Award, Nebula Award. I don't even know if those are things, but whatever. Uh, and the whole point of the book, right, is that uh, during the Cultural Revolution in China, uh, one of the techniques that uh, China used to try to be better than, have a more advanced society than other societies around it, was to start to reach out into uh, space and to try to start sending messages, getting as far out, out into space as possible, you know, interfering with satellites, blah, blah, blah. Well, someone kind of got the idea at one point to send a message to the next closest galaxy and just see sort of what happens. Now, nine years later, a message comes back. The person simply says, you're lucky that this message came to a pacifist, uh, because if it didn't, immediately my uh, world, Trilocerus, that's like a dinosaur, um, would come and attack you immediately and wipe out your entire planet. So do not answer this message. Do not respond. Well, in a moment of just sort of like, society's awful, my life's awful, human race is doomed, she decides to respond, and that's sort of the first book. Yeah, really. I mean, you could have done that in a pamphlet, not the entire book of technical science writing and everything else. Just kidding, it's a wonderful book. But there's three groups that are separated as a result of this. Those called the restorative or restorationist, yeah, who want that alien society to come and make human nature better, Okay, sort of in the way of Western democracy and things like that, blah, blah, blah. There's one that want them to come and completely annihilate everyone on Earth, with the exception of maybe them, because people are terrible. And then there's some who obviously don't want them to come at all. They think through human reason and effort and things like that, uh, you know, they'll be able to figure it out. So this book is really wonderful because it, it, it kind of has this just most base, excuse me, most basic problem of do we think we can accomplish and achieve the things that we want, or do we need some sort of outside source uh, to help us? Guys, as Christians, we are people of revelation. That means that we have believe firmly that we can accomplish anything on our own, that God must reveal things to us, both in the scripture, both in our lives continually, as what, uh, you know, Willie was talking about with the Holy Spirit, we believe that those things are revealed to us, okay? So I want to talk a little bit about this, uh, and I'll make it kind of brief. I don't really have just a ton of, of notes here. So Colossians 2, 1 through 5, let's turn there. We have two passages here. If you haven't picked up on this already, remember Colossians is sort of a great place uh, to study this idea of identity because uh, Paul is talking to a church that he hasn't been able to visit himself. And so these basic ideas of Christian identity are really important for them to understand. So here we go, Colossians 2, 1 through 5. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Now, check this out. And this is, this is a good, good one, but it's very, very tied up. And there's a lot of things kind of going on here. One thing led to another. Paul does that quite a bit. This thing, we use that thing to that thing, whatever. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Okay, so encouraged in heart, united in love. That's step one. So that they can have the full riches of complete understanding 
Now, all of a sudden, this doesn't even make any sense because we've gone from what we would maybe in the 70s or 60s call left brain thinking, or excuse me, uh, right brain thinking, emotions, heart, lovey-dovey stuff, to heady stuff, and how do those two even have anything to do with each other? He's saying that in order for us to have a full understanding, the riches of full understanding, we've got to be encouraged in heart and united in love. Okay, so already this is, doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't even work, all right? In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Mystery, hidden, wisdom, knowledge, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So we're going to break that down in just a moment. Uh, But first, I want to kind of make real clear what the difference between knowledge and wisdom is as best as I can. Knowledge really at the core is just facts, right? Wisdom is how you use those facts. That's it. And uh, in the scripture, it tells us that wisdom comes pretty much through revelation Think about Solomon, right? When God uh, comes to Solomon and says, hey, you know, what do you want? And Solomon says, you know, just give me a discerning heart, uh, one specific aspect of wisdom so that I can uh, judge fairly my country. God says, well, because you asked that, I'm not only going to make you the wisest person, you know, but I'm also going to make you rich and, you know, long life and all this other stuff. He was wise, but still that came, uh, the scripture talks about the wisdom came from God. Psalms, Proverbs, you know, chock full of the thought that wisdom comes from God. So knowledge and wisdom, facts, uh, or knowledge of facts, wisdom, how we use those, all right? You think, uh, I've got this little meme here that, because, uh, you know, I'm trying to decently be cool, but um, yeah, so it's Halloween, so I figured this is sort of fitting. Knowledge is knowing that Frankenstein is not the monster. Wisdom is understanding that he is, right? Some of you are like, wow, I don't even understand that. I don't even know what Frankenstein is. So Frankenstein, right? He's the doctor, not the monster. Frankenstein's monster is the monster. But in reality, Dr. Frankenstein really is the true monster. Yeah? No? Yeah? Hmm. All right, maybe the next one will help you. That's, that's two pretty big points. I mean, a meme and a video game meme. I mean, come on. That's, all right, all right. I'm, I'm kind of hot right now. What'd you say? I, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, so many things you don't know. No, depressedalien.com, yeah. I was looking at trying to make contact with an alien life form to wipe us out, so <laughs> just kidding. Uh, think back to the Garden of Good and Evil, right? The whole problem was that, that, that uh, Adam and Eve weren't relying on God's revealed wisdom. They wanted knowledge instead. Knowledge is a very dangerous thing in the hands of unwise people. And so the garden is really about Adam and Eve wanting knowledge apart from the wisdom that God reveals. All right? Uh, in 1 Corinthians, which we're going to go to in a moment, Paul talks about one of the most important passages that you would, you know, I think you could memorize and need to memorize right before all of that lovey-dovey stuff. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. That imagery is so, so good. Something that puffs up like a balloon versus something that builds up. I mean, you get the idea. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Knowledge is pretty much useless, except for making people think that it's a wonderful, great thing without wisdom. 
All right. We have a saying, uh, you know, among our ministries, I think it's still around, you know, that people don't generally care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's really important. And it's true. We generally don't care much about people telling us something unless we really know that they care about us in the first place. Because what is it, after all, other than just information? So why is it then that we're so impressed with people who are smart, people who have skills of intellection and, uh, you know, people who seem to know a whole lot of things? Why is it that you guys sometimes think that somehow I might be one of the most spiritual people around here just because I seem to know a lot of things? How did we equate those two things together? Well, it's an age-old problem, but particularly in our society, it's a problem because we favor this whole idea of achievement, and we believe that when someone is smart, they've somehow achieved that on their own. I don't even use the language of smart and dumb. Those of you who know me, uh, do you think that person's a smart person? Do you think I'm a smart person? I just generally don't use that language because a lot of it sounds like uh, you know, you've achieved some level of being smart or not, whatever else. And what we're ultimately looking at is, is knowledge is simply like power. It makes us think that someone is able to do far more than what they're actually able to do, okay? We think that someone is really great and good when they're, you know, they look like a bodybuilder like me. Um, why are you laughing? But as soon as someone pulls out, why are you laughing, Quincy? As soon as you pull out a weapon, all of a sudden they're powerless. Well, it's the same thing with knowledge, People seem really smart until you realize they have very little wisdom. What do they really have but facts memorized or a strong body that isn't going to help them much defend themselves against anything stronger than it? And so this is a problem. And we have to, in Christianity in particular, listen to so many of the old voices, some of which I'm going to mention this morning, who have dealt with this problem of trying to substitute faith for a completely rational understanding of who God is and expect that somehow that's going to lead them uh, to the good life, uh, whatever else. In some ways with postmodernity, we've, uh, we've kind of gone past that, but the church is always a little bit behind, it seems like, uh, the rest of society. Anyway, First uh, Corinthians 1, 26 through 30, I'm going to let one of you guys read that because this humbles us from this idea of knowledge uh, being power uh, and all this other stuff. Who wants to read that? First Corinthians 1, 26 through 30. Go for it, loud and proud. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Two things about being a Christian. Number one, if after having been a Christian for a while, you don't realize just how much God has made you into a new person, you kind of miss something along the way. And two, if it doesn't make you look back and see why the heck did he choose me, you miss something along the way. God has a tendency to move in the people we least expect. Why? Because his power is manifest and because he reveals wisdom through those people who had no wisdom before. And it's all of us still pretending like our own knowledge is what's important that uh, 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 it disables us from allowing God to work in his wisdom. And I think that's so important to understand. And I'm certainly not bashing reason or uh, you know, knowledge, but I am bashing the idea of knowledge for the sake of knowledge and this pure reason that I've met more and more Christians believing that somehow is going to lead them to a belief in God. I told my college students a long time ago, and I told them a million times, if you want a purely rational faith, you probably ought to be an agnostic because agnosticism is the most scientific, in my mind, approach to religion. 
because you're just basically saying, I don't know. I don't know one or the other. So let's just chill kind of in the middle somewhere. But we know we're not just rational beings. And so I would uh, argue that uh, that's not enough. And it doesn't lead ultimately uh, to answer most of our questions about these things. So I have three points I want to give to you, okay? And uh, one of them I'm not even going to go over because we've went over it already. And then I'm going to end here. But I want you to remember this, this passage, okay? Uh, because this, this Colossians passage that we read right before the First Corinthians passage is so powerful because it goes from what, in my mind, it, 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 from a heart level, encouraged in heart, united in love, to an understanding. Two things that we tend not put together. Again, left brain, right brain is really a terrible way of looking at that, but for the sake of imagery and metaphor, we'll, we'll just go with it. So remember what Paul says, encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of understanding so that they can know the mystery, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of knowledge and wisdom. So the first point is it's hard to have wisdom without knowledge, but it's better to be wise with what you know than know without wisdom. This is, what? No, I mean, that's pretty easy, right? He just rolls off the tongue. Tip of the tongue, you got it. No, okay, sorry. It's hard to have wisdom without knowledge, Sure. But it's better to be wise with what you know than know without wisdom. You can know all. This is one of the main reasons. And um, Willie said your name a variety of ways. I don't know which one it was. Treat. I don't know if you're an academic, so I don't mean to. Uh, uh, you are. Okay. So uh, I spent a lot of time in academia, right? Some of you know I'm a doctor. Some of you know that doesn't mean anything. I'm not a doctor that helps people. Okay, yes, thank you. But one of the things I I learned pretty early on, and you can certainly say it could have been the department that I was in, is I didn't want to be very much like most of my professors. Most of them had far too much knowledge and far too little wisdom. And, uh, And I could just figure that out pretty early on, that this would be a path that I would go down and would not be a good path for me. All right? Simple as that. And I'm glad you have seen that or at least appreciated or at least, yeah. Um, But that's what I'm talking about here. It's better to have a little bit of wisdom with the things that you know than to know a lot and not be able to put those things into practice in getting that wisdom that's revealed uh, by God. So the question I have here is simply, does your knowledge lead you to act like Christ or not? This is really important uh, for someone like me who's pretty academically minded because my mind gets way ahead of my heart in most issues. I read, 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 have a lot of understanding, have a lot of knowledge, and man, I probably have enough knowledge to just back up for a decade and start to apply in wisdom all of the things that I already know. Not to mention that knowledge is very fickle. One day I learn this, one day I learn that, one day that's my opinion, one's the other. The experience isn't near as fickle. Yeah, Debbie. Oh, yeah, just uh, does your knowledge lead you to act like Christ or not? When we talk about reading the scripture, um, I've tried to kind of counter the idea that there's two types of reading scripture. There's devotional reading and there's study. Uh, We do both, and we need to learn. The goal is to learn how to do both. If you're reading a passage of scripture and not asking the question, what does this teach me about God's heart? Then all the knowledge you get from background and language and all of those things really aren't going to do you much justice in the long run other than make you a robot that can repeat back to other people impressive things and, you know, you get your due reward rather than learning how to put that into practice. Uh, Anselm, which was one of the, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, I like to read him quite a bit, and he's one of the few people I actually have read some. 
Uh, he says it like this, and I just really love this, so I'm going to repeat it to you. Um, and some maintain that there was a joy in finding confirmation for our faith through reasons for our faith. And in that vein, we might consider reflecting on reasons in favor of certain theological issues as an actual spiritual discipline. So the idea here is he's combining the, the both, the whole idea of why do I believe in God? You think through the building belief in scripture. Why is it that I believe or do I believe what this passage is actually saying? He goes on to say, and I think this is kind of balances out what he's uh, talking about. Of course, it's important to pursue understanding uh, with the attitude of grant me that I may understand as much as you see fit. Anselm only wanted to understand as much as God intended him to understand. Nothing more, but also nothing less. Some of us will be inclined for more understanding than God sees fit for us, me, while other of us will tend to settle for less understanding than God sees fit for us. That we've got to find that balance, which is what we're talking about here of taking the knowledge that I have and putting it into wisdom. Too many of us, if we were to write down what things that we would factor into uh, or a label or categorize as knowledge about God and wisdom from God probably would have an enormous list of knowledge, but a very, very small list of what we could really detail as revealed wisdom from God. Think through that this next week. It could be an activity for you. What's knowledge? What's wisdom? And maybe even more so in the last couple of months or six months, write down all the things that you feel like you've learned okay, facts about God, about faith, whatever, and how much of that has been put into wisdom in your life. God revealing how to take those facts and actually use them, okay? So some of us, uh, what he's saying is don't intentionally want to, uh, some of us intentionally don't want to know or choose more seemingly sophisticated, complex wisdom, but not very practical, ethical wisdom. Uh, in a book that I think probably all of us should ha have to read as Christians, uh, Neil Postman in the book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. How many of you have read it? No? Oh my goodness. Just, just go read it. If you want to read one book in the next three or four uh, uh, months, then read this one. Uh, one of my favorite lines there uh, from the book is, television has habituated its watchers to a low information action ratio. People are accustomed to learning good ideas, even from sermons, and then doing absolutely nothing about them. Some of us even learn enough to talk about it intelligently, but never follow through on action. Okay, love the low information action uh, ratio. I think that's very, very important. So the first point, do uh, uh, with the knowledge that you have, um, learn to gain wisdom from God. And thankfully, uh, we're told in James to just ask for it. Uh, but be careful because wisdom comes through tough and difficult experiences often. Uh, it's not like knowledge where you can learn it and then walk away. I wish. The second point, which we're not going to cover because we already did, the treasure of wisdom is found in Christ alone and is a mystery unfolding. It's not a natural wisdom. Christian wisdom is a work in progress. And we talked about this. Leslie talked about it. It's just something that is unfolding every day. It is amazing. It is exciting. And it's wonderful. But it is unfolding. God didn't give you uh, cliff notes on Christianity when you became a Christian, okay, and expected you to study it. Although that's what many of us would prefer. That's not how it works. You're living in the story. And the story is unfolding as we gain wisdom from God. We didn't just get that, you know, by uh, proxy by uh, when we became Christians. It is unfolding in our life. Now, the final and third point, the one that I want you to pay attention to the most, because I think it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful point that I made up. Just kidding. The richness of understanding Christ takes place in the heart 
not the mind, and can only happen in community. Now, the heart and mind thing in the scripture is a really weird thing. Again, we're not talking left brain, right brain stuff. We're ultimately talking here, when we talk about the heart as being sort of the seat of our decision making, we're not even talking about the will, we're talking about who we are. The heart is sort of like, you know, encompasses the decisions we make, the attitudes that we have. One of my favorite quotes, you ready for this one from Pascal? And I really don't like Pascal. Pascal, I don't know how to say which one because the bar in Denton is Pascal. So uh, anyway, most of us only know him through his ridiculous wager uh, analogy. And uh, I won't talk more about that other than just to say it's ridiculous. Um, but um, Pascal was one of those thinkers that, uh, you know, I mean, just was brilliant and had a lot of really great, wonderful ideas about faith and yet somehow seemed grounded in his relationships with other people. And uh, this is probably one of my favorite uh, uh, quotes of his. Here you go. This will be a little bit easier to understand than the last one. Pascal is a master at exposing reason as a mask behind which the other of reason does its work. <laughs> so uh, is a master of exposing reason as a mask behind which the other of reason, and to Pascal, the other of reason is the imagination, the heart, okay? Uh, does its work. Observing that it is imagination, not reason, that dominates our understanding of truth, he notes that the imagination is a master of error and falsehood, all the more deceptive for not being invariably so. It is imagination that decides everything, that creates beauty, justice, and happiness. Indeed, it is among the wisest of individuals that imagination is best entitled to persuade. Reason may object in vain, it cannot fix the price of things, Reason is the sport of every wind. Pascal laments and at its wisest adopts those principles which human imagination has rashly introduced at every turn. Similarly, custom and habit lead the mind along unconsciously and fix our beliefs. We are automatons governed far more by custom and habit than by reason. He's simply saying that people aren't smart when they follow their reason. The wisest people tend to follow their imagination and uh, their heart um, and be careful, I'm not saying that we all should all follow our heart. <laughs> uh, what he's really getting to is the point that most people don't follow their reason, that reason is the mask for what their heart is telling them to do in the first place, okay? And so people who are wise draw that out, as the psalm says. The heart is deep waters, a man of understanding draws it out. I think I have one more for him. I'm trying to remember which one it is. No, I don't remember, who cares? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, I was talking about, uh, okay, yeah, I like this quote too. One more, and then I'll be done. In doing so, he neither seeks certainty nor allows doubt to paralyze the conversation. Instead, he weighs alternatives against each other on the basis of the best reasons we can give. The whole idea for him was that we can't allow um, uh, our reason to disable us from having faith, nor can we allow blind faith to disable us from having reasonable ideas. There's a really wonderful quote, and I can't remember where it is. Oh, yeah, imagination is the real champion. It neither seeks certainty nor allows doubt to paralyze uh, our fears. Guys, uh, imagination is the seat of um, how we think about and perceive God. And, and one of the real problems with even a sermon like this is that so much of this stuff is hard to think through and figure out. And we're in a day and age, I think it's a good day and age, even though people are bemoaning the fact that most people don't care much about reason and don't think strongly about things anymore or deeply about things, where people care more and more about the story of God. And being able to imagine in new and fresh ways how to talk about God with each other and with other people 
is what Pascal envisioned when he talked about people who are wise following their heart towards God. Okay? Um, so imagination, being able to really think through uh, these things. So I wrote this really wonderful uh, line here. Following Jesus doesn't make sense. It makes sins go away. Now, why is that so terrible? I literally have a, a guy that went to call in with us who writes this stuff on his t-shirts and on his hat. And for him, maybe it really works, but this is just proof. It is an example of why imagination is what catches us and not reason or corny lines or things like that. It's probably one of the most unimaginative lines you've heard in a long time. And so it should lead us to believe, to understand that the mystery of wisdom, okay, and people's hearts and their minds is catching something in their imagination that makes sense of who God is. The wise person is not someone who memorizes facts and then lives out their life as an automaton doing exactly what they think they ought to do. It's a person who lives in the mystery of Christ, letting Christ reveal to them how to take all this information that they have and to put it into practice in their life. It's a constant story being unfolded. An imagination, an imaginative experience like no other. Something unfolding, something amazing, something miraculous. And it doesn't come back to how much we know or how much we study. It has everything to do with how much we plug into God and let him reveal to us the wisdom that he has. So let me just close with this sort of, uh, I don't know what you would call it. Um, blessing? Probably not. Challenge, charge, whatever. Do not turn your faith into a simple contest for, or a contest of how much you can know. It's about imagination and revelation. Reason makes us frustrated with what we don't know. Revelation gets us excited with what we have yet to understand. Okay, so don't turn faith into a simple contest of how much you can know. It's about imagination and revelation. Reason makes us frustrated with what we don't know. Revelation gets us excited with what we have yet to understand. Questions before we uh, break? We'll take communion from here and then we'll be done. So we'll do our lunch scramble after. So any questions? Yeah, the last line or the last charge thing. Yeah, so do not turn uh, your faith into a simple contest for how much you can know. It's about imagination and revelation. Reason makes us frustrated with what we don't know. Revelation gets us excited with what we have yet to understand. Questions? Two or three questions before we uh, do come in? Yeah, Justin. Top fan. Justin, top fan. Am I right? Yeah? Quincy got that? Yeah? I've seen that lately on Facebook. Top fan. Am I cool? Still? No, not cool? Okay, thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah, well, I think the heart is really kind of the seat of our decision-making, basically. It's how we make decisions. It's not even just our will. And there, listen, a lot of philosophy has talked about this ad nauseum, okay? They've, they've argued one way or the other. And what I'm not doing is separating the heart as being emotion and the mind as being logic and rationality. That's not what I'm doing at all, because that's not even how our brain works in the first place. Um, but the heart is kind of the seed of our decision-making. Why do you choose to do what you choose to do? I mean, it's, 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 it, we've talked about it as will, but it's not even will, because will is something that allows you to do something even when you don't want to do it. It's, this is really, we're talking about the core of who you are as a person, what makes you up, what makes your values up, why you do the things that you do. It's not easy to define, right? Because there's a 
ethereal aspect to it that doesn't even make sense. How do we you know, decide who a person really is? Too often, we tended towards identifying people as simply having a mind and a bunch of firing neurons, and we, we, we talked about them like this. But God does not talk about us in that way, even though uh, throughout the Enlightenment, we talked about each other like that. Um, in some ways, postmodernism and the idea that we are mostly just a you know, combination of our experiences, what those are, is almost closer to the biblical version than you know, our minds are uh, who we are. Sorry, his question was ultimately, what's the heart? Guys, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a tough one. It's, uh, it is how we make our decision, how we make our decisions. Yes, top fan number two, Margo. So here's the thing. Uh, the question is ultimately, how does this have anything to do with community? And remember what Paul was talking about in, First Corinthians, uh, in Colossians 2. This is a progression, guys. Encouraged in heart, united in mind. This is a body thing that's happening, a community thing that's happening, being encouraged in our hearts and uh, united in our love so that you have the fullness of understanding and understand the treasures and all those things. That's the most amazing thing about this passage because it talks about, unlike knowledge, guys, it's, this really is just a way of a metaphor for knowledge puffs up, love builds up because what he's saying is knowledge you can get on your own and you can, you can get a lot of facts from your environment. Wisdom is only learned within the community of God because so much of wisdom is about how to treat people. So there's no way you're going to learn how to be wise in a desert on your own and God's just gonna reveal all these things to you and all of a sudden you become a wise man. Although that's kind of how some Christians talked uh, in the first and second century. Wisdom is almost all about relationships and how we treat each other. It has to happen in community. And that's what Paul's saying. You want to know the mystery of Christ? You want to know the riches of complete understanding? It's about being in community and God revealing wisdom as you interact with each other. Uh, you know, and, and honestly, it's a better way to learn anyway. Uh, even knowledge is by being around other people. But we tend not to think like that because we're selective in, in that sense. One more and then we're done. Right, yeah. Well, I think the, the hardest part about reason is, um, you know, that most people just simply, okay, so we believed pre-1950, for the most part, that people were able to think rationally. Thankfully, what led to kind of postmodern uh, understanding and thinking was, you know, some of the existentialists, it was some of the social uh, constructionists that said, really, people aren't rational at all. What are you talking about? There's this whole field called heuristics, which is one of my favorite things to study in all the world. And it's all about these predictable ways people are irrational, all right? That's all it is. And so what Pascal is talking about is that, you know, most of us who pretend we're pretty rational about things and objective really have an ulterior motive behind those, those facts that we're presenting, even if they're just what facts to present versus other facts to present, whether it's I want to win the argument, whether I want to justify a behavior of mine, uh, whether I want to impress someone, which happens a lot with knowledge puffing up, you know, because the whole idea is that I want you to think about how great and wonderful and smart and good I am. Uh, so I think the hardest part is a, a, a self-knowledge, a knowing who you are and why you do the things that you, you do. A lot of us who like to use reason and rationality uh, for our, uh, you know, major decisions and thinking, railroad, uh, railroad people a lot. Because we say, well, it's just facts or facts. Yeah, facts, facts. Can't help it. I'm not a pessimist, just facts are facts. And, uh, you know, what we're ultimately saying there is we don't give up about you at all. Uh, we're just going to let facts be out there. It's a, it's, a, it's a high ground that we can step on when we want to, but other times we don't want to. And I think that's one of the most important ones is to recognize that 
you know, so often when you're dealing with reason and ideas and facts, uh, people who are pretty rationally minded, they just tend towards not caring about people and people's emotions and people's reactions. And I'm guilty of that like a hundred times a day. Uh, Tabby's over there shaking her head and we're not even married. <laughs> All right, if you have more questions, you can, uh, uh, you can ask me after. That would, uh, would be great. Um, and uh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to say a prayer for our communion time, and we'll take communion. We'll break from here. God, you're good. You give us uh, so much uh, in the way of uh, wisdom about how to live, how to love each other, how to make decisions uh, that really affect people. Um, God, you, you just, it constantly, continually, you change us uh, from the inside out. Whether uh, today um, we have people here who feel in a funk, feel in a plateau, um, regardless, you are revealing your wisdom to us each day. Uh, and that is a, a story, a mystery, um, a, a just an exciting trek to be on. And I pray uh, that for those of us who tend towards being confident in uh, how we think and what we know, um, that you would humble us to be people who constantly go back to you uh, to search what you're trying to reveal to us and not ignore it, feeling okay with the facts around us. We take this uh, communion uh, in your name, Jesus. Um, you were such a model of someone who thought and loved and cared, uh, and uh, we just praise you for that. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.